and welcome to unit six and this unit within the NLP training series is about language and for me this is very exciting because you know language is at the center of what we stand for in neuro-linguistic programming some people forget what the linguistic means is language you know the seven percent of communication that we use so we'll be covering the structure of language and I want to talk to you about the structure of language so that you can use to communicate uh, this, which is going to be a new way of communicating that maybe you haven't even thought of before. And that's kind of exciting, isn't it? So how do you begin to think about communicating differently? So I'm going to ask you to think about the structure of language first, the conscious use of language. And that's on page 45, which is the first page in the language section. It talks about the conscious use of language. And most of the time, the language that we use is unconscious. I mean, think about it. You talk to someone, you know, and you get talking for too long and it's like, blah, 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 blah. And most of the time, people don't bother to stop and think about the words that are coming out of their mouth. So you might say, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And maybe you'd notice that you didn't quite say it the way that you would have liked to have said it. And as you notice with your sensory acuity that you've been practicing and the rapport skills that you've now got and now noticing your own submodalities, it's time to begin to think about the language that we use and how do we use language purposefully and in a conscious way, in a way which is conscious and which produces the kind of response that we really want. Now, since we've just learned perceptual positions in the submodalities unit, in perceptual positions, the second possession in position involves going out into the other person and turning back around and looking at yourself as you're doing whatever you're doing. But one of the interesting things to do with regards to language is to go out and imagine what the other person has to do to make sense of what it is that you're saying. So you go out and you might even imagine floating out and the other person's body turning around and looking towards you, communicating with them. And notice how the communication is being received inside their head. When we know what the receiver is doing inside their head, when you say whatever you say. Now, here's the thing. You cannot not affect someone's internal representations. In other words, you must always affect someone else's internal representations when you communicate with them every time you talk with someone and whatever you say you're affecting and changing their internal representations now here's the here's a question how do you do it with consciousness and that's what we mean when we talk about the conscious use of language and that's what this entire section is about the conscious use of language how do we use language consciously to produce the kind of results that we want to produce so here are the, some of the ways in which we utilise language consciously in NLP. We use specific or ambiguous language, and we'll come to that when we talk about the hierarchy of ideas on page 49. We use hypnotic language patterns in the Milton model on pages 50 to 52. And then we have three frames that we focus on at practitioner level, which are the agreement frame, the purpose frame, which you've already begun to utilise in your first coaching conversations and doing belief change work 
and the what if frame, which is great to get people to think past their limitations. Then we come to creating positive internal representations and the implications of using those negative ones that we covered in the diploma, like try, should, in the language that we use there. And then there's the conditional close, which for those of you in sales, and let's face it, if you run your own business, there will be a sales element somewhere. This is a useful phrase to learn. And finally, tag questions. And this, as this will be something that you're interested in, won't it? Well, the next thing I think we want to talk about is linguistic presuppositions. So let's turn over to page 46. And linguistic presuppositions are useful for two things. Linguistic presuppositions are linguistic assumptions. So what does that mean? It means what's assumed by the client's speech. So the first thing that we can do using presuppositions is we can recognise what's assumed by the client when they're speaking. We can listen to a client or we can recognise what they're assuming in the process of talking to us. Furthermore, we can also use linguistic presuppositions to create new internal representations for the client. So linguistic presuppositions are extremely powerful and very, very useful for us to create new internal representations for the client. But the key is to make sure that we know what we're doing to make sure that we affect our client in the way that we think that we're going to affect them. And that's what the linguistic presuppositions is all about. So we simply take the language that you normally use and bring it into your consciousness. And when we bring it into your consciousness, then you can use it in a way which is purposeful, in a way which produces the kind of results that you want to produce. Now, this may seem like a long way around, but I assure you it's absolutely worth taking the time to learn this section because this will make you a master of NLP and a master of language. And the people who are great communicators in our world are honestly masters of language. They may seem to use it so simply and so offhandedly and so easily that you might think, oh, are they really doing it? But the fact is that they're using language in such a way that's very artful and very purposeful. Many people, when they first really start to study this, think that it's really heavy duty. And what happens is that once you grasp the simple concepts, you can actually hear what people are saying, whether they believe that they can do something or not. You start to really hear between the lines what people are saying. And it's worth so much because for the first time you'll you'll allow yourself to listen between the lines. It will be the first time you really have a handle on the communication that people are giving you. So this section has been very, very valuable to a number of people and you might find that using this totally transforms your ability to be able to use linguistic presuppositions and use language in a much more purposeful way. And there are nine that I'd like to look at today, nine different types of linguistic presuppositions, as these are the major ones. And there are, of course, many more kinds of linguistic presuppositions, but these are the ones that we usually use at practitioner level, as they're very, very useful. So let's take a look at the first linguistic presupposition, which is existence. 
The key indicator for existence is a noun, which is used to identify people, places or things. The second one is possibly in this necess possibility and necessity. Now these are modal operators and modal operators are words that are imply possibility or necessity. And we also look at modal operators of impossibility at master practitioner level. The third is cause and effect and the indicator for cause and effect is the verb to make. For example, she makes me feel this way. And also if then statements. For example, if you get into the learning state before you start studying, then you will notice your focus improves. Number four is complex equivalence and the key word for complex equivalence is the verb means. As in, she looked at me funny and that means she doesn't like me. Notice here that a major difference in identifying whether someone is assuming cause and effect or whether they're assuming complex equivalence is between the words make and means. Make, for com for make is for cause and effect and means will be a complex equivalence. And complex equivalence is where they're usually equating two things that don't really relate to each other in any way at all. Number five is awareness. And again, this is a verb related. And in this case, these are verbs with visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory and gustatory presuppositions. He could, see, he, he could see, hear, feel, smell and taste the place that he was describing. Number six is the time linguistic presupposition, sometimes known as temporal. So any verb tenses will be here. All verbs have a tense. All tense may be past, present and future tense. And in any case, that's a presupposition of time. Also, the words stop and other words like now and yet are also really good presupposition examples of time. The adjective adverb linguistic presuppositions are where an adjective modifies a noun and an adverb modifies a verb. And in any adverb or adjective is a precept is a pre is a presupposition. I'll read that again. Adjective and adverb linguistic presuppositions are where an adjective modifies a noun and an adverb modifies a verb. And any adverb or ad adjective is a presupposition. Number eight, inclusive and exclusive, or. The word or gives the illusion of choice although there are some inclusive and exclusives which don't have the word or in the middle. And then number nine is ordinal. And ordinal is simply a list. Anytime you hear a list, there's an ordinal presupposition. So let's briefly run through, through these in a little bit more depth and give you a sense of the difference between all of them and what to look for in each of these. And I'd like to use an example of a linguistic presupposition occurring in a sentence so I'll keep the sentence the same throughout. So let's look at number one and the presupposition is existence. And we identify this presupposition of existence as a noun. So here's an example. John realised that there was a mountain behind the house. Here's another example. John just realised there was a mountain behind that. And another example. John didn't realise there was a mountain behind the house. What's interesting is that every time I say one of those in each of those that you 
listened to, you had to accept the idea of a mountain being behind the house. No matter how I structure the sentence, in fact, John was so silly that he didn't realise it was a mountain behind the house, even though he looked at it every day for 12 years. So no matter how I structure that sentence, you still have to accept the presupposition that there's a, a mountain existing behind the house. And actually, John is also existing, because John, the person, is existing too within that sentence. Now, more than likely, we can shift the attention to John rather than to the mountain behind the house. And what that does is, is it displaces resistance. It's really interesting to be able to displace resistance. Now, notice that by making sense out of all the sentences that were uttered there, that in the examples that I use, you had to make an internal representation of a mountain behind the house. And John, looking at that. Now that's the basis of this linguistic presupposition. It's the power of the speaker of being able to assist the client in structuring an, or, an order and sequence of internal representations and putting them in a certain order. And that's the basis of all linguistic presupposition work in NLP. The question is, how do you structure those linguistic presuppositions in order to change, in order to make change? And that's really what this section is all about. I want you to really understand this next sentence I'm about to say. Whether or not the sentence is positive or negative in nature, the language of the linguistic presupposition is still the same. I'll say that again. Whether or not the sentence that I use is positive or negative in nature, the effect of the presupposition is still exactly the same. Did you get that? So the power of linguistic presuppositions becomes true because the question is, what is it that the person has to do to make sense out of this sentence? And then making sense out of the sentence, the person has to accept those presuppositions. Now imagine being able to change someone's ideas. Imagine being able to change someone's thinking. Imagine being able to change someone's objection, for example, if they're if they're objecting to something that you're saying, simply out of the use of presuppositions that are inherent in your speech. And while the client wrestles with making sense out of the sentence, he or she is accepting the presuppositions. That that's the basis of how we use language and how we use presuppositions in NLP. Now notice how much more powerful your presuppositions become. For example, you may have heard when you go and buy a car from a dealership, you might hear the car dealer doesn't test drive the car unless you want to buy it. Well, how many people do you think then get in the car and while they just test drive the car, they already want to buy it? And that's the power of presuppositions. Here's another one. If you're a therapist and you say to a client, don't sit in that chair unless you want to go into trance. Or don't come in to see me unless you're ready to change now. Really powerful presuppositional structures, which if the client accepts the presuppositions at the unconscious level, they're going to change or they're going to make the changes necessary. So if a salesman had a customer, a salesperson had a customer who had a list of objections, 
the salesperson could say to the customer, well, what's the one question that you need to ask that would cause you to want this product totally and completely? So the power of setting presuppositional structure up front, that the unconscious mind has to accept the presuppositions inherent in this statement in order to make sense out of the suggestions and out of the question. It's a very powerful set of constructions, very useful for making changes with clients. So let's go back to that presupposition of existence on page 46. Okay, so the next linguistic presupposition on there is possibility and necessity. Possibility and necessity are modal operators, and a modal operator is a word like should, shouldn't, have to, must, it's possible, can, can't. They talk about possibility or necessity. So here's an example. John realised how easy it was to climb the mountain behind the house. By now he should have realised it because it had been there a long time. By now he should have realised that of course the word should is a modal operator and we've also included the possibility of climbing the mountain. The presupposition of possibility will tell you whether or not the client believes something is possible. If I had said it's possible to climb the mountain behind the house, you might say you're nuts, you're crazy, but if I said John realised that it was possible to climb the mountain behind the house, by now he should have because it had been there for so long. It's probably going to displace the resistance. The question of whether or not it's possible it is probably going to be totally bypassed by that sentence. Okay, so number three, cause and effect. Identifying cause and effect is the verb to make and implied causes, which are the structure of if then. So here's an example. It was a brilliant flash of lightning last night that caused John to realise that there was a mountain behind the house. Of course, the brilliant flash of lightning caused John to realise that there was a brilliant flash of lightning and causes the presupposition of cause and effect. We could just as well have used a presupposition that said the lightning flash made John see the mountain behind the house. And of course, that's also cause and effect presupposition as it uses the word make, which is a derivative of make. Here are some other cause and effect presuppositions that I think are quite powerful. And these are good examples to look at. So what happens if I said to a client when they meet with me, don't go into a trance right away because I really need to talk to your conscious mind. Now, that's fine. Or we could say, don't sit in this chair because it's the trance chair and I really need to talk to you consciously. Both of those are cause and effect presuppositions. Now, we could even say it in the past tense. We could say, oh, no, you sat in the trance chair and I wanted to talk to you before you went into a trance. Those are all quite interesting and quite fun. And here's another example. Tonight when you sleep, you may dream and that will cause all of the things you've learned so far by listening to these programmes to totally and completely at the unconscious level integrate themselves while you sleep tonight. Now, by the way, that may not happen necessarily, but notice that your unconscious mind accepts the presuppositions inherent if it does. So if it does accept that it that presupposition, it says, OK, I've got it. I'll go in and rearrange everything. It'll work and you'll have things by tomorrow morning. No problem. It's ha 
I'm happy to do that, by the way. Your unconscious mind loves to please you. As an NLP practitioner, understand that every time a client comes in and talks to you, it's a cause and effect violation because the client comes into you and says, I'm at the effect of a certain cause over which I have no control. Now, do you accept the presupposition of cause and effect or do you change it? Of course, you change it. You work with the client and making that kind of change with the client so the client realises that he or she is that cause of each and every one of their experiences and is also in charge of their life. Next we have complex equivalence and this is any iteration of the verb to be and that includes the verb is as in you know he is looking at me funny. That means and of course the word means is also another complex equivalence that means he doesn't like me. So here's our example with the mountain. John's inquisitive nature means that of course he would know that there's a mountain behind the house. Okay. So number five, and that's the linguistic presupposition of awareness. Now a lot of what we talked about, of course, it had presuppositions of awareness in them already, but the tip here for a presupposition of awareness is any verb with visual auditory kinesthetic, olfactory and gustatory in there. So to see, hear, feel, taste or smell something. Those are all presuppositions of awareness. John could see them. John could hear the rumbling from the mountain. John could feel the rumbling from the mountain. John could smell them. John could taste them. Those are all linguistic presuppositions of awareness. And in essence, there are other words too which in essence, will also assist the client in becoming aware of certain things. So John realised that there was a mountain behind because John became aware there was a mountain behind. And perhaps we could even say John didn't realise it was a mountain now. Those are all linguistic presuppositions of awareness. Okay, the next presupposition of time is temporal, time-temporal presuppositions. And the tip here is verb tense. The words stop, now, and yet. These are very, very important. One of the things that, for me, is that I use presuppositions of time is to take a resource the client may have had in the past and bring it forward to the present, into the future, or take something into the future when they're done with a problem and bring it back into the past. And those are all very fun things to do. So look what happens if you say to a client, you know that old problem that you had, that you used to have, do you still have it now? And of course that's not the way to do it, you want to do it in the opposite direction. So a client comes in and says, I'm tense, you can say, is that the present tense or past tense? And of course the client, of course, moving into the past and asking the client to take the tenseness and put it into the past for something else, you could say, well, what is the problem? which you have now, which when you think of the person you've always wanted to be, that someday you said that you'd be, that you could be that kind of person now, aren't you? And when you think of who you said, you'd be, you'd be that someday. Now, wasn't that worth waiting for? Now that you are in the problems that you used to have, you can just forget about them. And as you realise that you are now the person that you've always said that you wanted to be, and you can be and you are now. So that's taking something from the future and bringing it back into the past and then taking it and putting it further back into the past 
the problems that they used to have. Verb tense is so very important, as I mentioned. We could say to a client, so the client says I have a problem, you could say, what's, what was the problem? Now, you don't want to say what is the problem or what is the problem that you're having now, but you do say what was the problem. So let's play and this is kind of fun. Think of a problem that you were having, but what do you have now? Now think of the way that you felt. Now, how are you feeling? Notice that difference. The word feeling implies the ongoingness. So the ing ending usually takes and moves it into a verb or moves it, whereas an ed ending, like what it was, what was it that you ended, would put it in the past temporal words, which are also fun words like now. We'd say, could you please just stop now? Are you good? I like the word stop. So you can say if you would just stop and consider the chair. This actually sets up a stop in the brain. So when you say to someone, could you please stop? That's what they usually do. They usually stop what they're doing, including thinking. And by the way, the way to use stop is to say stop and then ask them to do something else. So stop is a really powerful temporal word to use. Okay, so let's look at number seven, adjective adverb presuppositions. So an adjective, adjective modifies a noun and an adverb modifies a verb. So any adverb or adjective presupposes something John didn't realise. So John didn't realise how easy it was to climb the mountain. Now in this case, the word easy modifies the verb to the client which is an adverb modifying the verb easy, and John just realised it was easy to climb, such a small mountain. And those are two examples of adjective and adverb presuppositions, which change it in essence. And what it does, it diverts attention, bypasses resistance. Number eight. Now, number eight is an inclusive and an exclusive or. So inclusive or exclusive and inclusive. And we group them together here, and I think that in each case, an exclusive will, will exclude some things and an inclusive will include some other things. But no matter what the word does exclude or include, it includes or excludes certain things. So the construction is essentially, do you want to give the client the illusion of choice? So John couldn't decide whether to climb the mountain now or at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. In this case, we've given the illusion of either in, in each case. So John's going to climb the mountain. We know that. The, the illusion is, does he climb it now or is he climbing it at nine o'clock tomorrow morning? This is funny if you've got children. You can, but only get to use this once or twice a week because kids do catch on to this. But what you can say is, do you want to go to bed at eight o'clock or nine o'clock? And then they'll go nine o'clock and you say, OK, nine's fine. Whatever you say, let's do it. And that's what you want to do. Well, after a while, the child will wake up if you use it too many times and it will go, no, <laughs> neither. I don't want either. And so it's, you know, you, you have to use it sparingly with children. This is the basis of double binds and double binds, I think, Erickson summed it up nicely. Milton Erickson said, I think my clients ought to have the illusion of choice while they do exactly what it is that I'm suggesting that they do. A double bind is also the basis for construction, for an alternative choice question. 
and selling an exclusive or or an alternative choice question is generally used to set up a buying condition. And so you'd say, would you like it in blue or red? Would you like the large one or the medium sized? Would you like it delivered today or can we deliver it tomorrow afternoon? If you're making appointments, you can say, would you like to meet this afternoon at 2.30 or 3.30? And these are all situations that give the client the illusion of choice. And I think Ericsson and his, his point of view is great. If we give the client the illusion of choice, it allows them to respond in whatever way is best for them. And it also avoids the seeming as though we're authoritarian. Okay, finally, ordinal. And ordinal is the tip, the tip off for ordinal is a list. So anytime we have a list like first, second, third, fourth, the second thing that happened was that John realised it was a mountain behind the house. Notice also that this implies that there was a first thing. Now let's go and look at page 47. All of these linguistic presuppositions here will allow us to now begin to recognise the presence of linguistic presuppositions in sentences. So let's look at page 47 and see, for example, just exactly which ones of these linguistic presuppositions and which ones of these are mind reads. What you'll need to do at some point is circle either PSP for presupposition or MR for mind read as you go through and answer the rest of these questions. So you can do this with me if you've got that page with me now as I'll read through the questions and you can answer circle the one that you think it is. So. I'm unsure, question number one, I'm unsure whether or not I should stop shouting at my wife. So A, he has a wife, is that a presupposition or mind read? He loves his wife, is that a presupposition or mind read? He currently shouts at his wife, is that a presupposition or mind read? He's an angry slob, and is that a presupposition or a mind read? Question number two, I don't see why I can't do it. All my friends are doing it. So A, she feels like she's treated unfairly. Is that a presupposition or a mind read? She wants to be liked by her friends. Presupposition or mind read? Her friends do something she doesn't do. Is that a presupposition or mind read? Her friends are all lowlifes. Presupposition or mind read? <laughs> so question number three. If I don't learn how to communicate with my boss, I won't get a pay rise. So A, he feels he is being treated unfairly by his boss. Is that a presupposition or is that a mind read? He doesn't know how to communicate with his boss. Presupposition or mind read? He wants to learn new behaviours. Presupposition or mind read? His salary is connected to his communication skills. Presupposition or is that a mind read? And hopefully you're circling the ones that you think they are, whether it's a presupposition or whether it's a mind read as we're going through these questions. So we come to question four. I have to set myself unrealistic expectations. So they can't stop making unrealistic 
unrealistic expectations. Is that a presupposition or is that a mind read? They feel trapped. Presupposition or mind read? They have expectations. Presupposition or mind read? And they know when they are being unrealistic. Presupposition or mind read? And you know, if you are listening to the audio of this, you can shout out the answers. Obviously, I won't hear them until the, we get to the live training. I'm feeling much better now. I can see how some of the things I was doing just made me unhappy. So some behaviour she engaged in was related to her internal state. Is that a presupposition or is that a mind read? B. She has feelings. Presupposition, mind read. Which one? She's, she has much more control of her life now. Presupposition. Or is that a mind read? And finally, she fixed herself so she shouldn't be bullied. Is that a presupposition? Or is that a mind read? So what I want you to do is make sure those are circled because when you come to the live training, we'll go through the answers to those so that you can see whether you've got those right and you're now getting the hang of the presuppositions that you're learning. Now presuppositions, they're, they're a great, exciting part of the course and once you get to understand presuppositions, then you start to really understand the language that your clients are saying and, and how you can reply to them using presuppositions too. So if you have a look at page 48, you can see another little mini quiz here. What is presupposed? So what you're going to do is in the following sentences, you're going to state what is presupposed and identify the major presuppos presuppositional structure. So what I suggest you do, and it's up to you if you do this my way or you choose your own way, is you identify by either circling or underlining the major presupposition that's in there. When you're identifying the major presupposition or structure, and you can also put other presuppositions in there. So let's take a look at number one. If the cat meows again, I'll have to put him outside. So what is presupposed here? Is it existence, possibility, necessity, cause and effect, complex equivalence, awareness, time, adverb, adjective, the exclusive or exclusive or, or ordinal? There could be a mix of things within that sentence, but there will be one major presuppositional structure that dominates over the others. So at the side you can place that. Number two, it was her friendly smile that made me walk up and say hello. What presuppositions are in there? And what's the major presuppositional structure of that particular sentence? If only he'd come home on time, the party wouldn't have got out of control. Now it's interesting, which are the words that relate to presuppositions here? And which is the major presuppositional structure overall in that sentence? Write down your answers on that page. If only he had come home on time, the party wouldn't have got out of control. Now, there's a few presuppositions in that sentence. 
So identify those and identify the major presuppositional structure of that sentence. Number four, people have always given me more to do than I can handle. What's the major presuppositional structure of that sentence and what are any other presuppositions that are in there too? His easygoing personality is good PR for our company. What's presupposed? What's the major presuppositional structure within that sentence? His easygoing personality is good for our company. So number six, stop watching over your shoulder. That's an interesting sentence. I like the language in there. So what's presupposed and what's the presuppositional structure, the major presuppositional structure there? Number seven, only you can learn this. Number eight, either she goes to the store or I do. Number nine, first the winds came, then the rain. Mm, that's quite a simple major presuppositional structure in that sentence. And then number 10, opera makes me want to cry. Again, you might, might have noticed the tip-off word in there for the major presuppositional structure that is within. So that's the end of the presuppositions section, the conscious use of language. And next we'll be moving on to the hierarchy of needs and we'll be looking at the hierarchy of hierarchy of ideas in the next in the next module and we'll also come on to Milton model language as well so I hope you're enjoying this linguistic section and if there's anything in here that you're unsure of, please make sure you ask the question. It's always great to ask for confirmation of something that you're talking through.